The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and strategies to shake up the status quo in human resources and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Yes, you are. Today, HR Trends with Game Changers has a secret. Shh, we're going to share a secret with you. Let's get started. Is your HR team working very hard to streamline and strengthen your talent management, but uh uh-oh, they don't like the results they're seeing, not meeting their expectations, not serving the business. Guess what? Stop. It's time to stop doing the same thing and expecting different results. We've got a panel today of experts who are going to share with you the secrets. That's what I said. Shh, don't tell anyone, but we're telling you the secrets of getting the most from today's talent. I have experts ready to go. Let's bring up my first guest. Her name is Deepthi Singh. She is Director of Talent and Learning at ASB. That's American Savings Bank. And she sent me the following quote. Fairness and equality are not the same. HR needs to have the courage to invest differently, to reflect the contributions of talent fairly. Let's stop with the peanut butter approach. I can't wait to hear what that is. And she says this is paraphrased from the book Transformative HR by John Boudreau and Ravin Jezuthasan. Deepthi Singh, welcome to HR Trends with Game Changers. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing absolutely wonderful, Bonnie. Um, I'm actually here in sunny Fort Lauderdale. Um, where I'm currently attending the Burson by Deloitte um, Talent Management Conference and feeling really inspired. So thanks so much for having me. Good. Um, delighted to have you. Talk to me about this quote. There's a lot of meat on the bones here, Deepthi. I, I can't wait to get to the peanut butter approach, but talk to me first about the fairness and equality are not the same. Really? Tell me. Yeah. So so I actually had the pleasure of working with Robin, Jason Thassen, and John Drow, um during my time at Towers Watson. And they greatly influenced my thoughts on talent optimization, so I thought it was only fair to quote them with regard to this topic. Um, what I'm getting at here really is, Bonnie, that most uh, solutions in HR are very much a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, that is to say they don't really account for the differences in the way that people work or their preferences. And so there's no segmentation or customization do- done. And when we look at the world of work and we look at some of the most um, innovative, uh, groundbreaking companies out there, the Googles, the LinkedIns, um, the Mercs of the world, they compete on intangible assets like brand and intellectual property and patents. Um, And it's the talent that's actually responsible for managing um, these intangible assets. And certain pockets of the organization contribute far more to this than others and really need to be treated differently. 
So, for example, with Google, this might be um, its engineers. For Merck, it might be the scientists. Um, and this peanut butter approach that I'm talking about, or mm-hmm. depending on what part of the world you're in, it could be Vegemite in Australia or Nutella <laughs> in Italy. Um, this, it really is talking about the equal spreading of some of the human capital programs across every employee group. That doesn't really reflect the contributions fairly and is also not very optimal. So what ends up happening, Bonnie, is that a lot of companies either over-invest or under-invest in people and programs. Very interesting. Good start to our topic. I'm so intrigued because this must be something new, Deep D, and we'll talk to the rest of the panel about it. We didn't have this segmentation and customization. People just hired you for a job to do a task, and you were graded on their expectations. Nobody really asked you back in the day, and that's a a subjective thing back in the day, who's back in whose day, uh, what you love to do or what your passion was. So we're going to talk with you a lot more about that. Thanks for kicking this off. Let's turn to our second panelist. It's Gil to Stahl, Senior Editor at the Thought Leadership Unit of the Economist Intelligence Unit, and that's part of the Economist Group, and she quotes a very famous citing from Peter Drucker, and it's very simply, culture eats strategy over breakfast. Welcome, Gilda Stahl. How are you today? Welcome to you, Bonnie. I'm glad to be here in um, <laughs> sunny New York. Oh, yes, it finally is. Sunny, I know. Finally, yes. Snow and rain yesterday. It looked like spring was never coming, but the bulbs are already up about six inches tall here. Can't wait for the blooms, Gilda. Thank you for reminding me. It's April 1st. No fooling. So, Gilda Stahl, talk to me about this Peter Drucker quote. I love it. How does it apply to our topic today, Secrets of Optimizing Talent in the Workplace? Go ahead. Well, first, um, I often find myself quoting Peter Drucker. He's one of my favorites. Second, culture is often considered to be woolly, hazy, something that's in the purview of HR and has little relevance to the rest of the organization. That couldn't be farther from the truth. Culture is not intangible. It's not fluffy. It represents the environment where your strategy and brand either thrive, intersect, or die a slow death. Take Southwest Airlines, for example. Terrific word of mouth. Airline makes their customers feel great. We're talking about an industry that's challenging, to say the least. Former Southeast, Southwest CEO Herb Kellerher said, quote, the only things your competitors can't duplicate is your culture. Do you know the difference between strategy and culture? Well, when Napoleon was in Paris in a room with all his generals around a table discussing how to attack Russia, that's strategy. But what makes a million men march to Moscow, that is culture. So at Southwest, these three values are instilled in every employee. First, what they call a warrior spirit, being fearless in delivering their product. Employees are given all the necessary tools they need to support their customers. Second, a servant's heart, follow the golden rule, treat everyone with respect. Mm -hmm. And third, a fun-loving attitude. When interviewed, prospective employees are asked how they have responded to irate customers in the past, not what they should have done, but what they actually did. All Southwest employees who are recognized by customers are cited in newsletter features on the Internet, by CEOs and videos that are played at staff meetings and honorary dinners. Needless to say, voluntary turnover is 2%, and many of Southwest's original employees are still there. 
So in my view, culture must be nurtured by everyone in the organization from the CEO down. Of course, you still need outstanding performers with great potential along with a brilliant strategy. But if you minimize culture, you'll achieve very little and it won't last long. Your employees will either not advance as far as they could or they will leave. Okay, really good information. Good start. Thank you very much, Gilda. Appreciate that. I love the difference between culture and strategy, and that's a lesson we all need to hear over and over again. Let's welcome our third panelist. It's Tracy Arnish. She's a veteran of SAP Radio, been on several times. Tracy is the Senior Vice President of Talent at SAP, and she is quoting Marcus Buckingham. And here's the quote, another good one. This week, go and rehire your best people. Namely, tell them what you see in them that is so valuable and tell them that the team is relying on them to bring these strengths to work every day. Recognize them and then turn this recognition into an expectation. That's a tall order. Welcome, Tracy Arnish. How are you today? I'm fantastic, Bonnie. Thanks so much for having me back. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So talk to me. Who is Marcus Buckingham? Please educate me, Tracy, and then let's dive into his quote. Good, great. Well, Marcus Buckingham is one of those gurus or, or thought leaders in, in the world of HR and an individual that really has, in the last several years, got us thinking about how do you focus not on what someone might need to develop or where are their, their gaps or their weaknesses, if you will, but how do you help an individual really recognize their strengths and then leverage those to uh, the greater opportunity of the individual and the organization. And what really speaks to me about this particular quote, Bonnie, is that, you know, I think that engagement and performance um, and the success of talent really does come down to dialogue. Uh, And the more that leaders can talk with their employees, they coach them, they support them, the higher the level of discretionary effort and the longer-term engagement that we're going to see. And that dialogue really has to be centered around what are the talents that that individual brings to the table? What are the contributions that they are making to the organization? And how do we really help reinforce that so they can understand how they're contributing uh, and then accelerate that, that contribution even further? So it's this idea of strengths or your talents and what you're really bringing to the table that I think is going to connect talent in the long term to your organization. Thank you, Tracy. Question for you relating to a comment I made to Deepti at the start of the show how recent is this approach, Tracy? Because when I was coming up through in my career, you did what you were told. They gave you a job. You showed up. You know what, what we call the nine-to-fivers. You did. You couldn't leave before 501. You got a red letter note on your day. Really? I lived through that, if you can believe that. It is true. And you were expected to do. You had a tasks to do every day. You had goals to fill every week or every month, and you were graded almost by the hour on doing what they wanted you to do. Nobody said, what's your delight? What's your pleasure? What's your passion? When did this evolution happen in talent management, Tracy? Oh, thanks, Bonnie. It's a, it's a great question. For me, I think it's really come about in the last couple of years, and there's probably been two major um, actions that have have brought this forward. One, I really do think the economic crisis that we faced uh, in, in 2009 caused a lot of the talent to take a step back, um, and either they were forced to take that step back or they personally decided to, to do it and really reflect on what was going to work for them moving forward. Uh, and this, this trust and the idea of uh, you know, an employer for life really was, was no longer the reality. And so people use that opportunity to really say, well, what's important to me now that I'm in some cases being forced to look. The second for me is the infusion of millennials into the workplace. This is a generation we've heard a ton about. They're very focused in on what's meaningful and purposeful to them. 
Uh, and I think organizations to, to win in the, the talent reality have got to address that for millennials, but also know that what millennials bring into the, to the workplace is impacting the culture, and it's permeating and transfusing to the rest of the talent uh, across the, the, the globe who are saying, hey, I, I want to be doing things that are meaningful and important as well. So I think it's, it's those two things that are really causing this, this shift in focus. Thank you very much, Tracy. I have a very tough question for my three panelists. Tracy knows what's coming, but Deepti and Gilda are new to the format, so let's see if we can challenge them a little bit. The question is, what's in your cup today? Because HR Trends with Game Changers is part of our Coffee Break with Game Changers flagship. I call it the umbrella, the, the mommy and daddy of all of our Game Changers radio shows at SAP. So the question is, what are you drinking right now if it's interesting? And if it's not Dream a little bit and tell me what you wish you were drinking from another place and time. Deepti, you're up first. Talk to me. What's in the cup or what do you wish was there? Thanks, Bonnie. Well, it's it's noon here in Fort Lauderdale, so I, uh, despite being a self-proclaimed caffeine addict, I do not have a cup of coffee in my hand right now, believe it or not. <laughs> but my my beverage of choice on most days is a Starbucks Grande Extra Hot soy latte. I'm very specific about this. And um, I think there are actually parallels here uh, between Starbucks and town optimization. So bear with me for a second. But my Mm -hmm. my brother, Amit, actually works um, at Starbucks in advertising brand and promotions. And Mm. he told me that there are 80,000 different ways to get your favorite cup of coffee at Starbucks made to order especially for you. So I really think that Starbucks has taken this idea of of customization and segmentation mm-hmm. that I just uh, talked about earlier, and that is so critical to talent optimization to a whole different level. That's amazing. I did, did you really say eighty thousand deep deep? Really, eighty thousand? Yeah, eighty thousand. I I can't even imagine. I always go for the same thing. What can I say? I got to get out of the rut. Gilda Stahl, what are you drinking, or what do you wish you were drinking right now? Okay, it's also noon here on the East Coast, and if there's one thing we New Yorkers take seriously, it is our coffee. As you can imagine, there's no shortage of coffee shops, but as always, I'm drinking fair trade coffee. I guess it makes me feel better about myself while nurturing my caffeine addiction. Seriously, though, and I don't mean to sound corny, when I get that ready-to-take-on-the-world feeling each morning, It feels uplifting to think about dignity, diversity, honest labor, comparative advantage, and the need to nurture in a unique microclimate. Perhaps this is connected to the writing and research I do on HR, as trends today seem to focus particularly on upping the ante on fairness, diversity in the workplace, and global expansion. It's just amazing how one small cup of coffee can remind you of all of this. Thank you very much, Gilda. Very articulate. We appreciate that. And Tracy, last but not, of course not least, what's in your cup today, Tracy Arnish? Well, I'm your only person out here on the West Coast, so I have to admit there's still a little coffee left in, in one cup. But um, like Deep Tea, I'm quite into um, the opportunity to customize. And, you know, with technology and the options you have today, you can customize just about every element. And so I have a customized protein uh, energy shake, which uh, <laughs> takes me from my... 5 a.m. start all the way to the finish of my day, which uh, will finish up in the APJ time zone. So it's a mix of uh, protein and a bunch of different vitamins and weird things to make a lovely green (laughs) concoction that uh, will hopefully get me through the day. 
Tracy, what's making it green? We have to know. Come on, does it have any vegetables in it or fruits or what's what's oh, this weirdness? You have to share the weirdness. There's some kale, there's some spinach, and there's some things that I'm not even sure what they are. So apparently it's good for me. <laughs> okay, I'm glad it's good for you, and you sound like you're up for the challenge here today. So thank you very much. Guess what? We're going to take a break, and you can all take a sip of something. I'm talking today with Deep D. Singh at American Savings Bank, Gilda Stahl at the Economist Intelligence Unit, EIU. To those of us in the know, at Tracy Arnish at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to the latest, newest live edition of HR Trends with Game Change presented by SAP. We're in Season 2, Show 2. No fooling, and it's April 1st. We're serious about this. We have secrets shh, of optimizing talent in the workplace. Don't tell anyone. We'll be right back after the break. Don't even think of touching that dial, that mouse, that app. However you're listening to us, we'll be right back. Brad, out. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality, your HR department is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line, you need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers. Here we are, and it's time for our marathon roundtable. We're going to try to go 30 minutes nonstop, and I know my panel is up to the challenge. Let's start off with Deepti Singh. Deepti, you sent me a very interesting note before the show. You sent me a lot of really good talking points, and I'm going to talk about case for performance management. We are all used to the traditional, how do you get graded? How do you get your paycheck? How do you get your bonuses? How do you get to keep your job? So let me read this, and then I'd like you to expand it, and then we'll ask Gilda Stahl and Tracy Arnish to chime in. You say, traditionally, performance ratings have been linked to merit increases in bonuses as a way to better manage the compensation budget with no consideration of how different talent pools value reward differently or the role of rewards in driving performance. So let's dissect this. What's the case historically, and what are we seeing in this evolution today on our show about the secrets of optimizing talent? Go ahead, Deepti. Sure. I think so. Uh, you know, Bonnie and, and panel, I think the uh, traditional idea of performance management, 
you know, where you set goals come the beginning of the year and then perhaps you have a mid-year check-in and then, you know, at the year end you sit down with your manager and your manager basically tells you how you did and gives you a rating um, and then ties that to your merit increase or your bonus is, is a very broken process because, the, the link between performance management and compensation really came into play around trying to manage the compensation budget. And um, Josh Burson actually wrote this really great article recently, um, which I'd encourage you all to check out, um, on the myth of the bell curve and how um, it's really not working. And um, as, as Tracy had just mentioned, you know, we have a whole new generation of millennials that is coming into the workplace, and they're not really used to this idea of being told that they are just meeting expectations. They're really looking for meaning, for purpose. Um, and so the, the traditional model might have worked for, you know, the baby boomers or uh, a different generation, but now we have to look at, you know, what, how can we make this uh, better serve the needs of the organization? And really, again, I keep talk, harping on customization and segmentation, but it's really important when it comes to optimization. So with performance management, I actually think that companies would be better served if they looked at individual motivations. So instead mm -hmm. of just bluntly giving, you know, salary increases or merit increases to people, you could perhaps assign points, and those points could then be used um, based on individual preferences. So, you, you know, your millennials might choose that um, to uh, either take cash up front or they might apply it to, you know, a learning and development opportunity because we hear oftentimes that that's what they really value. Um, and then, you know, your older employee might put it towards retirement uh, or their 401K. So, again, you know, looking at it a little bit more holistically. Very interesting, and I'm going to just propose something here, uh, and I do want Gilda Stahl to come in. Uh, the question is, you talk about the case for performance management. It sounds to me like we're talking more about the case for performance encouragement, Deep D. How does mm. that sound? I love that word. I mm. absolutely love that word. Because mm, money talks, and people have, have different motivators. Who, uh, Gilda and Tracy, who wants to join in this? Yeah, I have a couple of questions because we do keep hearing that the performance management process is broken. And I was just wondering, first of all, to what do you attribute the fact that HR doesn't, the HR function, and I know they, they get a lot of flack and I don't mean to sort of put them down, but the fact that, that it hasn't changed at most companies and this annual or semi-annual process continues in the same way, even though it, you know, it does garner so much criticism. Right. So this is DT again. And I think, uh, as Tracy had alluded to, this whole shift is happening only lately. So, you know, in some ways the HR function is, is playing catch-up to the fact that we are now hyper-connected, living in a world that's very agile and fast-moving. Um, and the, the idea of annual performance uh, goals doesn't really make sense. So mm -hmm. I think um, a lot of companies are having this discussion today, mm -hmm. and we're going to see a lot of changes happening in the next couple of years. And, yeah, and I think that we're going to learn quite a bit in the next than, than little the, while. Semi-annually or annually then as well, correct? Feedback with your manager or however 
the evaluation mm-hmm. would occur. What do you, Gilda, what do you see at EIU in your studies? Do you see this changing? Do you see companies getting wise to more immediate? because we just had a, an HR, our global HR director was in, in the city, and we had a, a training, and I mentioned the fact that I had heard at several, I was at a SHRM conference that the performance management systems were, were going to be changing, and he said, they'll, well, he's a Brit, you know, they're a little bit stayed. He said, they'll see, they'll come back to the old way of doing things that'll never work. So we're still doing mm. the annual performance reviews here. What, Interesting. What you're seeing from companies like Adobe, Microsoft, Netflix, I mean, these are the organizations that right now um, are really leading the way for this whole dialogue around is the traditional performance management process dead. And, you know, what those companies have found is exactly what DT has highlighted and, and Gilda, you're, you're driving towards, and that they're no longer relevant um, to the individual. The organizations say are too agile. Things are changing all the time. And so this idea of setting goals one time per year and then not mm-hmm. having the dialogue throughout the year is, is no longer resonating with talent. And in, fa- in fact, in many ways, is actually having the reverse effect. It is not motivating or encouraging. It's, it's demotivating and it's disincenting employees. But one thing that is really, really important and I think is the linchpin to the success of changing the performance management approach, again, is it comes down to dialogue and it comes down to a mm-hmm. leader's ability to be able to have good, meaningful performance coaching, performance feedback, uh, and regular ongoing dialogue with an employee so that they know how they're doing. They can make adjustments, they can feel motivated, and they can feel connected. And I think that's my biggest concern is that does leadership today have the maturity and the experience to have that meaningful dialogue that's necessary so employees do know how they're performing um, and that they don't have to rely on um, the performance rating system anymore. Interesting points, Tracy. I'm, I'm thinking of things I'm familiar with in terms of performance reviews, and sometimes you get locked into that year-long goal setting. You know what I'm talking about. And then you get six months, eight months, nine months in, and you turn around and look at your manager and you say, but I'm not doing that role the way we started the year anymore. Can I change it? And the question is, well, gee, you committed to this. It's very hard to split your role. Am I right, Tracy? And to perform at different levels on different tasks when your role morphed over the year. Uh, any comments on that before I move to something that Gilda said, Tracy? Yeah, I would, I would absolutely agree. And I think that work is it, not structured that way anymore. And so if we continue to treat employees in that regard, uh, we will lose their we will lose their commitment. We will lose their engagement in the long run. And this Very is good. deep to hear. The additional yes. point I would add is that uh, when you're looking at things 12 months down the road, th- that feedback might not even be valid anymore. You know, it's about, you know, just-in-time coaching, just-in-time feedback, where that you can really, the employee can then make an adjustment as necessary or, or really rely on their strengths and go that much further. Good points, and I, I want to make sure that my panel remembers that we're sharing secrets today, even though I keep saying shh. We want to hear them loud and clear, so I think a secret is just-in-time coaching and flexible performance review, and I even like my statement about instead of performance management, performance encouragement, maybe. We need to poster that on the side of a, a chair or a wall, or I like to crochet things on pillows in my spare time. Haha. I want to turn to a comment that Gilda Stahl made before the show. Gilda sent me something interesting. I'm going to read 
needed. Gilda, I'd like you to chime in, and then, of course, Deep D and Tracy want to hear your thoughts. The comment is, when measuring the performance of your team, now, see here, we've gone from individual, and I'm focusing on team. Evaluate, evaluate how each team member increases the output for the entire team beyond their individual contribution. So let's broaden our scope about optimizing talent and look at the team talent. Gilda, you want to kick this off, please? Yeah, I mean, basically, um, it takes a village, and I think this, this covers a lot of areas. Diversity of thought is included in that. You can't, people tend to, to, um, to, uh, you know, to, to point to one person as the hero, and I think, uh, you know, they, they end up neglecting the contributions made by the other members of the team who, who support the organization, and I think basically the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Okay, Deep D, thoughts on this? Thank you, Gilda. No, I think I think Gilda hit the nail on the head with that one. You know, it's about figuring out, you know, what are your talent pools and how they're contributing and making sure, you know, it's the the, the integration and the synergy. So, you know, I, I like to say one plus one is equal to, to three, really. That's where you're going to maximize your return on investments if you're looking at, you know, not just individual employees, although they're just as important, but, but you know, small groups or small teams because they're the ones that are going to have those leading-edge thoughts by sharing ideas and brainstorming and, and really feeding off of each other. Good points. Tracy, thoughts? Yeah, I fully, fully agree. You know, I think that the innovation and the thought leadership does come through the diversity and the power of the team. Uh, and that comes through not only how you performance manage and you incent agile teams, but also using technology to really enable that collaboration on a global scale. And more and more, I think organizations are being, um, they have access to very simple technology that's expected by millennials. It's, it's expected by now Gen Xers and, and even baby boomers for being very, mm-hmm. coming very comfortable with the idea of working with the team in fast uh, development cycles, iterating quickly and continuing to test and build upon each other's ideas. So uh, this very much, I believe, is the, the wave of the future around collab- team collaboration and ultimately innovation for an organization. Wave of the future is here. The future is today. Tracy, I want to move to some of your talking points here. You say managers must learn to lead and not manage. Now, if manager, the word, has the root manage, how do you bring in the right managers? How do you leverage the managerial talent to lead the teams and bring out the best in them? Who who should be these managers? It sounds to me like a whole new challenge for HR. You're at the top of HR. You're at at the head of the food chain. What do you see, Tracy? What's the practical answer? Well, I think the the secret is to shift away from promoting based on technical talent and really starting to identify those very early in their careers who have the the DNA that you're looking for to motivate and coach and and lead people. Uh, And unfortunately, historically, I believe that many managers have been promoted based on technical competence, not based on their desire to lead people or their capability to to do so. But that's predicated also on the organization, having a very clear vision of what it means to be a leader in that organization. Do you understand the leadership principles? Do you understand the leadership DNA? And that that has to include um, things like people who are very, very good at building trust in their teams because Mm -hmm. trust is going to be paramount to performance and and long-term engagement. It has to be leaders who care and dedicate and prioritize the time to coaching uh, employees on a daily basis to really fostering their development and putting that individual ahead of of everything else. 
uh, to ultimately ensure that they are successful. The leaders have to set the clear vision, uh, but then get out of the way. Um, Be the architect, be the the person that's there to remove the roadblocks, and be the real enabler for the team. Tracy, that sounds to me like one of the biggest secrets we're sharing today is that it comes from the manager, the ability to gain trust, to lead, to clear the roadblocks. Would you be willing to say that that's one of our biggest secrets today? Uh, From my perspective, it's, it's the fundamental piece that underlies everything else. That's what I thought. Deep D. Singh, American Savings Bank. Agree with Tracy? Disagree? Talk to me. Yes, I actually absolutely agree. And, you know, um, even in my time working with many organizations, I've seen that there is this uh, notion of, you know, somebody that is an individual contributor that is uh, technically competent is then placed into a management position. And, and they're, they're basically set up to fail if they aren't given the right, the right tools and if they really aren't, you know, innately able to lead people and get them to rally behind a cause. So, um, and, and I think, a lot, you know, even if you look at it from an individual's perspective, um, really there is this idea of I want to move into a management role because I want to be paid more. But organizations need to make it clear that, you know, whether you're an individual contributor and highly technical competent or you're a people manager, both of those roles are equally valuable and contribute very differently and that they would be paid uh, appropriately in terms of what is, uh, what is market competitive. And, and oftentimes that could be the same, same pay rate. Interesting. Gildestall, any comments on this before we move on? I heartily agree with what the two other ladies have said. I found particularly here it's not necessarily technical um, proficiency, but promotions, um, there are a lot of managers who just don't have it in them to be managers. They've been promoted, Mm -hmm. you know, because uh, that's sort of the career path, and yet they, they have no idea. They're not, they don't know how to motivate. They don't know how to sort of, um, um, engage their employees, which um, all of our research is, you know, the in- engagement, um, you know, all surveys seem to show that employees are completely disengaged, not just the millennials, but everyone. Engagement levels are very low, and I think it definitely has to do with the quality of the leadership. This is Deepthi here, and I'd just add mm-hmm. one more point to this. You know, the, 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 uh, Tracy mentioned this idea of trust, and I think, um, uh, you know, you, you also mentioned it, Bonnie. I think it's really, mm-hmm. really critical because I think the days of, um, you know, the hard-nosed, profit-obsessed CEO um, are, are coming to an end, and really it's about the soul of the business that inspires people to contribute. So, you know, do, do our leaders or managers have the skill set to, to create that following, to, to really be able to communicate that mission, that, that purpose, um, and then have people back it up? Thank you, Deep D. I want to segue into something a little bit different here, ladies. I want to talk about the composition of the workforce. I have a couple notes here from Deep D and something from Tracy. I'm going to combine them into my question. Uh, Deep D, you talk about it's HR's responsibility to determine the most optimal mix of buy, build, borrow talent to deliver the best business impact. And then Tracy also talks about the rise in contract and freelance workers making it very competitive. Who is going to what, what employer, what company will win the best of class. So, uh, Tracy, you want to kick this off and take any piece of that you'd like to discuss? Sure. You know, I think that this is the other big secret 
Bonnie, is mm-hmm. how do you ensure that you have the makeup of the workforce that you need ready today so that you can deliver for tomorrow? And that yes. takes some upfront planning and really understanding is what do you require and then where are you going to best find that? Are you going to find it externally or are you going to find it internally? Is it going to be a traditional employment relationship or a non-traditional employment relationship? And one of the things that we are seeing in a really emerging trend is particularly um, in the Silicon Valley is this idea of, again, employees who are looking for, or talent, excuse me, who are looking for that personalized individual experience that Deepi's been talking about and that they want to have control over the type of work that they do when and where they work. And so we're seeing an, um, an uptake in interest of um, talent who want to be independent contractors. They want to be freelancers. They may do that within the construct of a single organization because it's where they can gain the flexibility um, that they need, or they may begin to work for multiple uh, organizations. And what it's creating is a very mobile talent base uh, within, the, within the valley, uh, and it's making it more challenging for organizations who haven't yet figured out how to work with that type of a talent who's not interested in the long-term contract, the long-term commitment. But it's definitely an emerging trend I think we have to be giving more thought to. Interesting. And they're probably not also interested in, or neither are they interested, rather, in the workplace perks because they're not going to be there that long if they they insist on mobility and taking their talents wherever the highest bidder or the most creative workplace. Deep D, since your comment was, uh, I included your comment about Buy, build, borrow. Why don't you chime in on what Tracy just said and and take it a little further for me, please? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so I think, um, you know, Tracy's talking about Silicon Valley, um, and I would say it's even broadly more applicable. So this traditional notion of, you know, a nine-to-five job with people clocking in to their assigned workspaces is just irrelevant at this point, right? So workers um, in this open talent economy, as Tracy alluded to, come in many shapes and forms. So they're your full-time employees, your part-time employees, your contractors, your seasonal workers. Um, And and the build-by-borrow thing that I'm talking about is really the fact that HR needs to figure out, okay, here are our strategic objectives, and what is it that, what is the optimal mix of, of talent that we need uh, in order to meet our strategic objectives and to get the biggest ROI. So, you know, this generic notion of, of top talent, again, doesn't really apply. It's figuring out, okay, what are the, what are the sources of talent that we're actually going to buy from, from the marketplace? We're going to hire. What are the people that we're going to build internally, promote, and develop? And what are the ones that we're just going to borrow for a short time, you know, those contractors, those seasonal Mm -hmm. employees, because it's a short-term need, and then we move on to the next thing. Can I ask a question on millennials? Sure. Um, um, There's a lot written about about their different approach to work-life balance and their wanting passion in their work life. And I'm just wondering if some of that isn't a bit of a stereotype. I find here I work with a lot of millennials, and most of them will work 24-7 as long, um, just like everyone else does. There's no question of work-life balance, but it's more a rush to be promoted, a rush to be, you know, they don't want to have to work for someone or to do. They don't want to sort of work their way up the way, let's say, I had to or you had to as, you know, an assistant or just even sort of in in an ancillary position. They want to sort of 
get get to where they're going as quickly as possible. So I'm just wondering if this whole, you know, I, I find it, and we talk about it here a lot, that it's kind of puzzling that this myth doesn't, we don't seem to see it. Interesting. I, I just have to tell all of you that last week on the debut of this season two of HR Trends with Game Changers, I was privileged to interview three millennials, one from SAP in South Africa, one from Belgium, and one North America. And the lead quote from Lindsay Nelson, Tracy, you may know her, was, I personally despise the word millennial, but it's the standard, so there's no getting away from it. And she said, flexibility healthcare, a company that serves a higher purpose and having a place you don't mind spending 40 hours a week, doesn't sound so so bad. So there, maybe I answered your question. And she was talking about a heck of a lot more than 40 hours, and we know that's what it takes to get ahead today and make a contribution. Gilda, does that help your, uh, answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Even the millennials here themselves admit that, it, that, it, that the stereotype or whatever you want to call it doesn't really apply to them. They're not I mean, they're so happy different. To, they're happy to live with it, but they don't really know of where course. it's coming from. There you go. Now, I want to get into a statistic, Gilda, that you sent me before the show. I think it's very telling. You say, according to Gallup, companies fail to choose the right candidates 82% of the time. That sounds very high and very depressing, Gilda. Can you tell us a little more about that study, yeah, please? That was, that was something I was taken with. Um, something Tracy said also reminded me of it when she was talking about engagement. It seems a lot, you know, ties back to engagement that employees are just not motivated or not, don't feel passionate about their work. And Gallup has did more, I just want to find my statistics here, did more studies on how business units that performed well in terms of productivity in other areas seem to have had stronger managers. There was a different, there was a definite linkage between the quality of the manager, the engagement, and the, uh, and the, and the productivity of the company. Deep, do you want to make a comment on that? That's a, a big number there, 82%. Yeah, no, I, I actually um, don't have much to add on that. I think, I think Gilda covered it in, in terms of the fact that, you know, you've got to figure out um, who those right people are. Um, and actually, you know, this notion gets thrown around you know, when it comes to talent management. It's, you know, the right people in the right place at the right time. Um, I think everybody is the, is a right person. You know, it's, it's, it's figuring out what's the, what is the appropriate place so that we can leverage their strengths. And, and that's, I think, where the, the failure is happening. So it's trying to figure out, okay, what's the most optimal job? What's, what's, how can we leverage this individual's strengths to really move the business forward and also be fulfilling for their own uh, uh, personal development? Thank you. Tracy, any thoughts on this before we move on? Yeah, I, I think this is really, really critical, and, and both Gilda and Deepti are raising the, the right points. Organizations have to spend more time contextualizing and, and clarifying what it is they need, um, because if you don't understand what you need, you are going to fail 85 to 100 percent of the time in terms of your, your hiring practices. The really important point, then, is once you understand what you need, do you know what you have? And are you very clear on the potential and the, the talents of the individuals that you have in the organization? So you can make those buy versus build versus borrow decisions that Deepi was talking about. And then I think organizations have to become much more deliberate in, t- in terms of how they broker their talent, um, becoming much more planful and deliberate about how they're moving talent into the right roles 
so that they really are matching up the strengths with the against the opportunities where they've identified a real need for that person. And that takes work. That means that we can't take the traditional approach of expecting employees will apply for the roles that are the right ones for them. We have an organizational responsibility, uh, certainly from an HR standpoint, to really help to facilitate that process. Tracy, how does this apply to new companies, uh, what I call the lower end of the SME spectrum, small to mid-sized enterprises, forgetting about the big behemoth enterprises that are already very established and a lot of infrastructure? How will this help this information, these secrets you and Deepti and Gilda are sharing today? How will this help the smaller companies that by nature should be a little more agile? What should they be taking away? Mm -hmm. I think they should be taking away this idea again of how are they creating the individual experience because sometimes in the smaller SMEs you can allow for for more of that. The larger companies tend to have a lot of structure and bureaucracy that you need to to break through in order to to transform but for the smaller organizations they have the ability to be more agile and hopefully then use their talent in a much more flexible way. So I think a lot of what we've talked about there today hopefully is going to be helpful for them. Gilda, perspective from EIU about uh, this, about smaller companies, how can they leverage benefit from these secrets? Um, I I mean, the agility, as Tracy said, is definitely an advantage, but... um but yeah, but then again, you know, their human resources function may not be as, as developed, so it's, so it is a, a problem, I would say, and I, I really don't know the answer. Okay, that's fine. That's fair. Uh, and Deepti, any thoughts on this? The applicability to a small, to a smaller end of the midsize range of companies, how they can leverage this? Right. I actually currently work for uh, one on the midsize, smaller end of the spectrum. So, you know, I think um, to Tracy's point, we kind of have the luxury of of talking about individual employees, um, being able to reach out to them personally, which I think um, isn't possible in a larger organization, discussing, you know, individual development plans and leveraging the individual strengths. Um, so it's almost um, an advantage in, in some cases that, you know, is, is lost as you get larger, but then, you know, you do have to put the structural components in place to make it happen a little bit more seamlessly. Okay, thank you. And I have a quick question for Tracy Arnish before we go to break. We're about a minute and a half from break. Tracy, what is the, if you have a magic formula for the balance between what does the organization need and what are we seeing revealed as we get to know our employees? In other words, as an employee expresses their passion or their talents come out of ways you never expected when you hired them and you say, oh my goodness, we could do this and this now that we have this person on board and changing their job description. What's the balance? What is that aha balanced against, but the business really needs this? How do you balance that? Well, I think you, at the end of the day, always have to work towards what the business needs. Ultimately, every single individual wants to be contributing to the greater good of the organization while fulfilling their talents at the same point in time. So the real trick is how do you find that sweet spot, if you will, Bonnie, between what's the individual's talents, what are they really passionate about, and how do you mesh those two things together with the organizational need? Um, Because that's where ultimately you're going to find that career sweet spot. You're going to optimize engagement and you're going to optimize performance. Um, If you could do that for all of your employees, that would be a dream state. Um, But again, it, Mm -hmm. it, it takes work. It does take work. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you, Deepti, and thank you, Gilda. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we typically have our crystal ball round of predictions. In other words, I would say to Deepti Singh, Gilda Stahl, and Tracy Arnish, 
Fast forward five years. If we come, when we come back, if you could look ahead, what do you think would change in the next five years? But instead of just making it purely predictions, I'm going to ask Deepti Gilda and Tracy to tell me of the secrets we promised our listeners today, the secrets of optimizing talent in the workplace, if you can be very succinct and give me your top two secrets. So I'm looking for six from the group so we can divide and conquer. We're going to take our break right now. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is HR Trends with Game Changers. Very good discussion with Deep D. Singh at American Savings Bank, Gilda Stahl at the EIU Economist Intelligence Unit, and Tracy Arnish at SAP. You don't want to miss the predictions and the revelation of the secrets you want to take back to your HR management. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brad, out. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality, your HR department is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line, you need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers. Okay, here we're back, and we're ready for the crystal ball round, which will be morphed into a top two secrets per panelist round, along with our predictions. Our topic today is secrets of optimizing talent in the workplace, and that's what we've been exploring for the early part of the show. We're in the final stretch here. Let's start our round with Deepti Singh, Director of Talent and Learning at American Savings Bank. Deepti, top two secrets for optimizing talent and predictions. Let's go ahead to the year 2020. Start, please. Thanks, Bonnie. So I think my first secret has to do with the fact that when you're looking to optimize um, performance or, or any of your talent management initiatives, instead of operating by gut feel, to really look at the root cause. So the key here would be to start off with a hypothesis and then, you know, use data, use analytics to to determine the root cause. I know we're hearing a lot about big data and talent analytics, and I think um, uh, we're going to continue to hear that. And it's really just um, trying to dig into, um, you know, what are the reasons that you're having certain um, talent management uh, issues. So a classic example would be, you know, you're having high turnover in the organization. And typically the answer is always, well, 
Well, it has to be a compensation issue or maybe a manager mm-hmm. capability issue. But the secret would be to say, okay, let's look at the data. Let's see what, you know, maybe that's our hypothesis that we start off with. But as we start looking at to what pockets of the organization are we losing talent, uh, what is the time frame, or maybe we d- determine that it's in the first 90 days. Um, and then if it is, then, you know, it could be that we're losing people because it has more to do with how we're hiring and training versus, you know, compensation or, or manager capability. So data. Use data to definitely inform your decision-making. My second secret is HR. We tend to look at just the the specifics of an HR solution, but it's really bringing in HR and business information together to get the most optimal solution. So, you know, often we'll say we're going to design a compensation plan to drive behavior without actually consideration for the risks and trade-offs. So the secret is let's look at HR data, but also let's look at the business data, you know, the sales, the referrals, and banking. It could be your shortages and overages, combining that with your performance data, and really, you know, making sure that we're coming up with the most optimal decision. With regards to my, my future prediction on, you know, what, where are we heading with talent optimization, I, I actually believe sincerely that, you know, the next generation of, of HR will really be asking the question, is this the most optimal choice? Um, I think HR and talent management professionals will ask this first versus it being an afterthought, which it seems to be right now. Um, and, and I think just as importantly, they're going to be taking their cue from, from finance, from sales and marketing. And here's where it comes full uh, circle back to Starbucks. The need to really uh, customize it to the individual employees. So right now, HR is still talking about talent pools and pools or groups of employees. We're going to, where we're going to go forward with in the future is really looking at that individual employee and then figuring out what's the most optimal decision for him or her. And this will really be central to the loyalty that, that Tracy and Gilda also spoke about and ultimately impacting business performance. Thank you so much, Deepti. Appreciate that. Gilda, I can give you exactly two minutes. We're starting to run a little short. So go ahead, Gilda at Gilda Stahl at the okay, Economist Intelligence Unit. Go ahead. Um, I believe mm-hmm. that HR itself will be playing money ball, using lots more metrics to evaluate employee performance, exploiting inefficiencies in the talent market to derive more while spending less. I think it's impossible to speak about the future without mentioning big data and analytics which will help evaluate employees and develop um, career trajectories. Um, Something that we haven't spoken about is is soft skills, attributes like creativity and emotional intelligence. We hear a lot about how important they are and how emerging markets are sort of, um, they're hard to come by there. But these are not easily measured, obviously. So I think we'll have better ways of measuring soft skills to help build organizational cohesion and collaboration. Finally, I think every large organization will have its own internal social network, and there will be more entrepreneurship arising from employees clustering within social networks, employees with common goals and complementary skills, or groups forming around internal service centers. Okay, thank you very much, Gilda. And that leaves time for Tracy Arnish, Senior Vice President of Talent at SAP. Tracy, go ahead, finish us off. 
Good. Thanks, Bonnie. I, th- I can only build on the, the comments that both uh, Deepti and, and Gilda have made, and I think when you think about data and analytics, big data, predictive analytics, having te- the right technology in place is going to be a critical element. And you've seen, we've seen a recent move in uh, HR, HCM solutions really coming to the, to the forefront. And HR is finally, I think, positioning itself to be much more strategic to be able to bring that insight that we need to be able to be a true partner to, to the business. So having the technology that facilitates all of the, these talent conversations we've been having, whether you're using it for your strategic workforce planning to understand the talent that you need, you're using it from a talent management standpoint to understand the talent that you have, it's driving your total rewards programs, uh, it's, a, it's driving your learning management systems, really bringing that all together to simplify and streamline the processes so that managers can then do their job to lead the teams um, that they have and not just focus on process, I believe, is a really critical element to talent management uh, now and, and for the future. The other thing that we haven't spoken a lot about, but Gilda highlighted it a little bit, is this idea of the millennials. And I think what's important for us to understand, and, and we, we need to focus on millennials, but I feel a little bit the focus is sometimes, maybe it's gone a little bit too far, and now we're, we're spending a lot of time trying to analyze, well, are these really true traits of millennials, and is, you know, what about the rest of the workforce? I think the real secret for organizations is to take what the millennials are bringing to the workplace and then figure out how to apply that uh, and optimize it for the rest of the organization, because I think what we'll find at the end of the day is that the the needs um, of the talent are really not that different. I, I believe it was Deepti that said some of the motivations might be a little bit different, but ultimately how do we use things like this desire for flexibility, this desire for purpose, this desire for to, to really do work that they're passionate about and, and apply that to the rest of the generations uh, around the world? Because I think at the end of the day, the talent is going to say they want those same things as well. I feel that's going to be an important area of, of focus to, for us to master. Thank you, Tracy. I've got 45 seconds left to end the show, so I'm going to take my predictions right now, and I'm going to predict that tomorrow at 8 a.m. Pacific, if you tune in here to the Business Channel, you'll hear me hosting Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'll also predict that Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific, you're going to hear us on the future of business with Game Changers, talking about the future of simplifying complexity. That's a big topic. Thursday afternoon, we'll be back with Startup Focus with Game Changers, and then we start our cycle again next Monday morning, 10 a.m. Pacific, Financial Excellence with Game Changers, and right back here at 9 a.m. Pacific next Tuesday with HR Trends with Game Changers. I have to thank my very articulate, thoughtful, and expert panel, DP Singh and American Savings Bank. Thank you. Gilda Stahl at The Economist Group. Thank you. Tracy Arnish at SAP. Thank you, and always a pleasure. Shout-outs to Brian Barnhart. It's been great working with you. Bye-bye. Mike Montebaum, welcome, and thanks for the great tweets. Carolyn Kahoot, thanks for sponsoring the show. And Brad and the Business Channel team, thanks for keeping us on the air. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I have a call to action for all of you. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Signing off for another live edition of HR Trends with Game Changers presented by SAP. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to HR Trends with Game Changers presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.